Jesus then produces supernatural fruit that is eternal in its nature. That's why, again, you can't produce that kind of fruit with your own efforts. You can't do that apart from this abiding relationship with Jesus. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. The 15th chapter of the Gospel of John teaches us that the Father is the vine dresser, Jesus is the true vine, and we are the branches. Our call is to abide in Jesus, the true vine, and produce much fruit for His glory. With more on this, here's David with part two of The Vine Dresser, the Vine, and the Branches. Jesus is the gate. He is the door, remember, in John 10. And through Him, we have the gift of eternal life. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Not many people really want to discipline their lives and faithfully follow Jesus. That's why the road is narrow. But when we do faithfully follow Him, we are guaranteed the gift of heaven. And Jesus then produces supernatural fruit that is eternal in its nature. That's why, again, you can't produce that kind of fruit with your own efforts. You can't do that apart from this abiding relationship with Jesus. At the end of the day, though, if He abides in you and His words abide in you as well, then you're going to want only what He wants. You're only going to want His will, and you will accept whatever He says when you ask Him whatever. But prayer is a way of abiding. It's a way of remaining. It's a way of continuing in that relationship with Jesus. Verse 9, by this my Father is glorified. Did you notice that? Jesus called Him my Father, the vine dresser, my Father. And if Jesus is our big brother, that means that God in heaven is your Father as well. Personal, living, loving, Abba, Daddy, Papa, who just loves you so much. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So, so how do you prove you're a follower of Jesus? You bear supernatural, powerful fruit. The characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. You produce your life in other people. Uh, don't be a seedless grape. A grape that tastes great, looks good, but does have, doesn't have any reproductive qualities whatsoever. Be a grape full of seeds that reproduces your life and other people by sharing the gospel with other people, by living a life that draws people to Christ itself. That's bearing fruit for Him. And by this, God is glorified. My Father is glorified. The word glorified means to be given a good opinion of. So you make God look good in the world when you bear fruit for Him. You're, you're making Him look good when you live a holy life, live a different life, live a life that exalts Him and Him alone. That's what Jesus is teaching here. Verse 9, And as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So the Father loves Jesus so much, and Jesus loves the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit loves the Father as well. You, you know, don't you, that's why God created the angels, to extend a concentric circle outward to love them and have their love toward God. And that's why He created you and me. Uh, so that He could love us and we could love Him in return. The love relationship when working rightly is so beautiful. And, and for God so loved this world that He sent His Son, that at some point the Father said to the Son, would you go into this world and take on human flesh and become totally human and totally divine at the same thing so that you can pay the price for humanity's sin as totally human, but you can also forgive their sins as totally God on the cross, which is what He did. And folks, if you ever doubt the love of Jesus like the Father loved the Son, and Jesus said, I love you as you abide in me. Um, look at the cross. And, and as you abide in Him, here's one of the things you need to do. Quit looking at your cell phone so much. Too many of us are abiding on our cell phones. 
Go to your screen and, and look at how many hours a day you're spending on your phone. The average American spends about four hours a day on his phone. We mostly abide in our iPhones. And if we lose our iPhone, we go crazy. Oh, where's my phone? Where's my phone? How can I live without it? You know, and Jesus says, don't abide in your iPhone. Abide in me. Make sure that, like Jesus, often withdrew to pray, to abide with his Father. So you need regular times to move away from the world and just connect again to Jesus and pray and abide in his love. And the best way you can abide in his love is when you're away and when you're praying, gaze on the cross. Focus on the cross. When you survey the wondrous cross and you see how much God loves you on that cross, your heart will be filled with love like never before. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept in my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Here's what Jesus is saying. Another way to abide in Him is obey what He tells you to do. There's something powerful when you go serve somebody else in need. It's amazing how many people I've heard through the years who go visit somebody with cancer, for example, they walk away saying, I went to bless them, I was the one who was blessed. Somehow, obedience releases God's spiritual endorphins in your life. And when you're trying to abide in Jesus, obey what He tells you to do. And make sure that you've already obeyed what He has told you to do in the past before you try to hear a new call to obedience today. And again, as you obey the commandments that Jesus has given you, it is a way to increase and deepening your abiding in Jesus Himself. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. If you are abiding in Jesus, there should be great joy. Now, not happiness. The word happiness comes from the old English word hap, which implies circumstances, you know, a happening. It just so happened. You know, happiness depends on something else happening in our lives to feel good. Joy, though, bypasses a definition of happiness. Joy is an eternal, internal reality that pours forth as a part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Did you notice again in Galatians 5.22 when Paul talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit or the fruit of the Holy Spirit? He says, first of all, there is love, and then the second fruit is joy. It just happens. It's a natural byproduct of living in Jesus. Yeah, times can be tough. You could even be pruned, but you'll have great joy because you're working in the will of the Father and you just know how much He loves you. Your joy may be full. That's what Jesus desires. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Uh, when you're abiding in Jesus, you will love one another. You will realize how much Jesus has loved you. Again, think about the incarnation. He would leave the splendor of heaven, come to the mess of this world because of love. He would die on the cross to take all of your sins in that horrific suffering. Why? Because of love. How he has loved us. Jesus now says another way abiding is proved in your life and there's the fruit of abiding in me is the way you love one another. In John 13, 34, Jesus said, By this the world will know that you are mine by the way you love one another. Folks, if you've got a problem with another brother or sister in Christ, you go to that brother or sister and you talk to them. You address it to their face. You do not go to anybody else. One of the real evils of bad fruit is slander, gossip. You talking to somebody else about somebody else. You need to go to your brother and deal with it. The most loving thing you can do is to try to renew the relationship and make sure it's not damaged in any way. So go to your brother, go to your sister, and love them. That's a proof again that you are walking and abiding with Jesus. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Verse 13. There's no greater love in any example in human history than someone who will lay down, die for a friend's life. 
But here's what's so amazing. If you look at Romans 5, before Jesus came into this world, we are called enemies of God, hostile toward Him. And yet the Father still sent His Son, knowing that we are enemies of His. Yet on that cross, when He died on that cross, He adopted us into His family, and now we're no longer enemies. We are friends of the Father. We are friends of Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we did not carry everything to God in prayer, to our friend Jesus in prayer. He wants to carry our burdens with Him. He no longer calls us His enemies. We are now His friends. And what greater proof could He give us than He died for friendship. He died so that we could become his friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. <laughs> the proof of friendship is obedience. Um, I think here about Marilyn, uh, we have, I think, after 43 years of marriage, a union life. I, I'm in her and she's in me. It's a mysterious union. As Paul said in Ephesians 5, when marriage works in Jesus, there is this inextricably profound, mysterious connection. And, you know, can you imagine me being in her and her and me and abiding in her and she's abiding in me? And she asked me, David, would you take out the garbage? And I say, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, in fact, I'm going to go down to the beach and I'm going to mess around with some other women. Can you imagine? Well, that's, there's no way that somebody abiding in a relationship with another person could do that. The proof of my love for Marilyn is I take out the garbage. The proof of my love for Marilyn is I remain faithful and loyal in the relationship because I love her and I'm abiding in her and she's abiding in me. That's what Jesus is saying here. Again, the proof of abiding is that you'll do what he has commanded you to do. Be holy, be different, have a prayer life, worship, make sure you serve, give your life away, care for the poor, let's reach the lost together. All of those things He's commanded us to do. The proof of abiding is our desire to do what He's commanded us. Verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all this I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So, Jesus is basically saying here, there are two kinds of relationships with God, either master servant, where God is the master and you're the servant and he tells you what to do. And if you don't do it, he's going to punish you for not doing what he's told you to do. That's every other world's religion, folks. God's the master. You've got to obey. Your obedience then gives you favor with uh, the master except one other religion where God comes to us and dies on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins and then adopts us into his family, gives us grace inside of us and no longer are we enemies, we're his friends. And that relationship's not based on what we do. It's not a performance-based relationship. It is based on who we are because we're adopted into the family. Jesus is our big brother. We know God is Abba Daddy. It's a whole different paradigm. And Jesus basically here says, I've told you everything the Father has told me. And that's what a friend does. A master doesn't share with a slave anything. Whatever the master does, he does whatever he wants to do, and the slave has to face punishment if he doesn't do it rightly. But a good, loving daddy tells his children what he wants from them and that they are abiding in him and he's abiding in them, and he'll not hold anything back because they're not slaves anymore. They are friends in the family of God. Now here's something cool. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now, 
several things here that are so interesting. As you abide in Jesus, you realize more and more that this world wasn't created by fiat, that my life isn't some glob of cells that has no meaning and purpose. You realize that the vine dresser loves those branches in his garden, especially those connected to the true vine. And the vine dresser chose you and me to be on his team, to be a part of his family. He chose us long before we ever chose him. Now, what does that fact cause to increase in your heart? Love for the Father. He chose me. He wanted me to be a part of his family. That only increases my desire to abide in him because I know how much he loves me. He chose me. But not only did he choose me, he appointed me that I would go and bear fruit. That means that before this world was ever created, the Bible tells us God not only chose us, He appointed us for a task. I want you to pause for a moment and think about your abiding in Jesus. And when you do so, the task for which He has appointed you to do before the world was ever created will become clear to you. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1.5 and Paul in, in Galatians 2.15 both said that God had a plan for their lives in their mother's womb. Not only in all of eternity before creation, but in their mother's womb, they knew God had appointed them for a purpose and a calling. And that's not just true with Jeremiah the prophet and Paul the great apostle. It's true for you folks and it's true for me. There's purpose in your pain. There's purpose in the pruning. There's purpose in God's will. He's working all of it together for good. And He has a plan and a purpose for your life to bear fruit for Him. And believe me, you are a special, unique fruit-bearing tree. And you can bear fruit only in the ways that God wants you to bear fruit. Your call is to abide in Jesus, get close to Him, ask the question, what do you want me to do, Lord? What have you appointed me to do? I know for me, folks, it is to be a pastor of a church that tries to reach the world for Jesus, that tries to have everyone in the world hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 1976, when he called me, that's what he said to me clearly on my knees in an apartment in Gainesville, Florida. I'm going to live out that calling until Jesus takes me home. What's yours? How has Jesus appointed you for his purposes? And when you are living that out, you can ask whatever, whatever. In Jesus' name. Now remember, the name means a character. Uh, Jesus' name means Savior. Uh, David's name means beloved. It's, it's indicative of someone's character. So you can ask whatever as you're living out Jesus' call upon your life. And what's going to happen is as you are in Him and He's in you, you're only going to want what He wants for your life. And He'll make that whatever very clear to you. You can ask whatever. And you then submit to His perfect will as He lives that out in your life. Final verse. Verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The bottom line is we receive the love of Jesus as we abide in Him. And then that love flows through us. And then we live out that love by loving one another. And then the world looks at that kind of love that's not based on performance, but just based on the unconditional love of the Father being lived out in believers in the church of Jesus Christ. They go, man, I want that kind of love. <laughs> that's what I really desire. And folks, as we are the church, and you need to know this as I conclude, next week's vision cast is going to be entitled, Be the Church. The gates of hell will not stand against a true church of Jesus Christ. We're on the offensive. We break the gates of hell down. We're not inside our fortresses going, oh no, the devil's going to get us. We're on the offensive. We have the battering ram. His name is Jesus and he has defeated everything and he lives in us. And as we abide in him and we receive his love and as we love one another, we can march into the world with confidence knowing we win. In the Old Testament, 
One interesting thing, it said God gave David victory over these different entities surrounding him. I looked up that word, gave victory. You know what another word can be used synonymously with it? Saved. David saved himself from all of his enemies. When you are saved, you are given victory. Victory, folks, over first of all the power of sin in you, the power of death. You have the gift of eternal life. And the devil himself has to flee because you are the battering ram of Jesus. Let's be the church as we abide in Christ and bear great fruit for him for the glory of God in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that if there's anyone out there right now who does not know you, that they would give their life to you. I pray that if they're worried that they might be a dry branch not connected to you, that they would connect themselves to you. And the beauty of any dry branch that's engrafted into you will immediately receive that new life. And I pray if there's anybody watching right now, anyone who does not truly trust in you, that they would give their lives to you and abide in you, connect to you, remain in you, no matter what the situation may be. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone out there right now who is a pretend Christian, who knows it deep in their heart. They're not really yielded to you. They don't obey your commandments. They slander and gossip and they don't do your will. Lord, I pray that right now they would say, I'm so sorry, Lord. They would confess that to you and they would abide in you, connect to you, remain in you and give their lives to you. Oh, Lord, I pray that someone right now would give their lives to you and that we would see a new life birthed in the kingdom of God. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of preaching. I've given the warning. I've preached the gospel. I pray now that this church, Moments of Hope Church, would bear much fruit for you, that I would bear much fruit for you, this broken, fallen man that I am, for your glory, Lord, and your glory alone. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with thoughts on today's Moment of Hope. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and with me today is Bart Noonan with West Boulevard Ministry. Bart, tell us about West Boulevard Ministry. Uh, thank you, Bart, for this opportunity to speak about West Boulevard Ministry, and, and more importantly, about Jesus Christ. West Boulevard Ministry serves the spiritual and physical needs of the families and the communities within the West Boulevard quarter to the glory of Jesus Christ. Whether we're doing neighborhood outreach cookouts, gatherings where we're bringing people outside of their apartments, their homes, into fellowship with one another, or we're doing Bible study bingo the first Wednesday of every month at Little Rock Apartments. And uh, we gather anywhere from 50 to 70 children that we share the gospel with and we play bingo after our Bible study portion of the night. And a couple weeks ago, there's a young man who we've been walking with now close to three years who came in, he, he forgot something, like a lot of young, young kids do, he forgot something in the um, space, and he came back in and he ended up praying out myself and all the other volunteers for the West Boulevard ministry team that were gathered there for that night and led us all in prayer and closed it out. And this young man, we've been taking to church every every Sunday for about the past year and a half. And, and that's what it's all about. It's about providing an opportunity for Jesus Christ to work inside someone's heart and, and then encourage them along the way. That sounds great. Now, Bart, if any of our listeners want to get in contact with you, how would they do that? The best way to do is uh, either email myself at bart at westboulevardministry.org or they can call me straight up in my cell phone and I always answer. I'm sort of like a doctor. The phone's always on and that's 980-298-9027. I would encourage folks too to also go to our website, 
which is westboulevardministry.org. And there you can see some of our photo galleries. You can see some of the blogs and a lot of things we do throughout the West Boulevard Corridor to the glory of Jesus Christ. It is great having you with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. I'm Jen Houston, and with me today is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be with you, Jen. Well, in this morning's Moment of Hope, you wrote a Davidism about being demanding without being demeaning. Yeah, this is a leadership principle that I think those of us who lead other people need to realize. We can speak the truth in such a way in love that it can be received. That's Ephesians 4.15. I learned this one from Coach Smith, uh, my college basketball coach who's in the Hall of Fame and just a wonderful human being. He's passed on, going to be with the Lord. But I thought this was one of the best leadership principles he ever taught me. And it's basically you can correct the behavior without demeaning the person. Mm. And he had an expert way of doing that. And I mean, sometimes his eyes would penetrate you and the way he looked at you, that would make you know that was unacceptable. (laughs) The way you did that was just not right. And you'd want to correct yourself, but he would never correct to the place of demeaning us as human beings. Mm. And I asked him one day, I said, how did you come to this? And he said, well, I just came to realize that everybody's going to make a mistake and you can correct the behavior. But when you're correcting of the behavior leads to the demeaning of the person, you've lost that relationship with the player and he'll no longer desire to perform well for you. Hmm. So it's a delicate balancing act you're walking. I think every parent out there needs to understand this as well. Hmm. You can speak the truth, but you need to speak the truth in love. You can correct behavior. Just make sure you're not demeaning the person Hmm. and making them feeling bad as a person when you're correcting the behavior. If you can begin to understand that beautiful difference between the two, I think you'll maximize the behavioral results of those who are working with and for you. I think another way to say it is you're not the mistake. You've made a mistake. Right. It's not an identity issue. It's exactly. a behavior. Exactly. You couldn't have said it better, Jen. You, you can correct what the person does, but their identity isn't what they do. Their identity is in the Lord, that they're always loved by him. They know that. Should they make a mistake, they just confess that to him. But the relationship's never affected. I mean, my three children, for example, will always be my kids. I don't care whatever they do. I'll always love them because they are my child. And when I think they realize how much they're loved by me in their identity, they then want to behave in a good way. Mm -hmm. Should they make a mistake, I correct the behavior, but never question their identity, Mm -hmm. their love from me toward them. That's so good. What a great and sobering reminder. Yeah, I think it needs to be taught continuously continually in our society. And you see through the years, coaches unlike Coach Smith, who demean players and ultimately it costs them their positions. But coaches that learn how to correct behavior but still love the people, they are beloved by those athletes, men and women alike for the rest of their lives. Mm. And like me, when I talk of Coach Smith now, who died some years ago, I still speak of him so affectionately, so lovingly, because I knew when he corrected me, and sometimes he needed to in a big way, (laughs) he never made me feel like I wasn't cared for by him as a person. And that's how, even to the point of his death, um, we remain close friends. Mm. And he actually asked me to be a part 
part of his funeral when he ultimately passed away. So thank you, Coach Smith, for being that kind of person who taught me you can correct behavior without demeaning the person. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, listeners, for joining me today. If you'd like to receive these daily written Moments of Hope, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there. From my heart to yours, free of charge, arriving in your inbox every morning at 7 a.m. to give your day a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also, check out David's HopeCast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for revival in the church.